Welcome to episode 139 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we are skipping out of the actual broadcast order, and we're jumping ahead to Arcadia. So this was season six, and it's episode 15 in the broadcast order, originally aired on March 7th, 1999. And we're doing it out of order because this was the episode intended to air immediately after Two Fathers, One Son, and actually air on February 21st. That's why Scully's dialogue says that it's February 24th when they're recording, but it aired on the 7th, which is why the inserts of Mulder's Omega Watch have the 7th and the 9th, because they were trying to sort of keep things in the broadcast order. But this was the intended order of the episodes. There was that scene where they specifically make mention that, yes, now they are back on the X-Files for the first time following the conclusion of the two-parter that we just got out of. The threat in this one, the villain, was originally put together in a way that just was not convincing on screen. So the broadcast of this episode was delayed so that they could go back and redo the visual effects. As I said, this originally aired on March 7th, 1999. The IMDb user score has risen from 8.4 to 8.7 out of 10, and the action primarily takes place in California. Mulder and Scully end up going undercover in the Falls of Arcadia, which is a planned community, and this is a spoof on the whole planned community thing where you have to punch in your code to get through the gate. You go in there, and everyone agrees this is the kind of community we want. So there's, you know, CCNRs and things like that that must be adhered to. In terms of the production credits, this was written by Daniel Arkin. Now, this is not just Arkin's first episode of The X-Files. This is his first writing credit on the IMDb. If you check at the others list first, but if you go by the actual dates of release, Arcadia came out between the others or his second X-Files credit. Both of those were in the following year. He would then go on to work on Alias, Las Vegas, Kyle XY, 90210, Star Wars The Clone Wars, and Suits, as well as other upcoming projects. Now, the episode was directed by Michael A. Watkins. We've heard his name before. This is actually the third of the six X-Files episodes that he has directed. The guest stars include Peter White as Gene Gogolak the head of this planned community. He's also known for his work in Dave, 13 Days, Armageddon, and an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We also have Abraham Benruby as Big Mike. He is known for his work in ER, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, The Program, and Open Range. Deborah Christofferson is in here as well, 84 acting credits to her name, also known for Outcast, Carnival, NYPD Blue, and Sergalio. Again, her only X-Files credit. Tom Gallup plays Wynn, the next-door neighbor. He's also known for playing Tom Cronin in the Bourne movies, for Will and Grace, and for American Horror Story. This is his only episode of the X-Files. Now, Cammie Schroeder, His character's wife was played by Marnie McPhail, who is also known for playing Iger in Star Trek First Contact, for 
playing Anastasia Targus in Star Trek Borg, for playing Maria Wong in Brave Face. I will always know her as Annie Edison from the Edison Twins, which was Canadian children's programming with a very catchy theme song, which is still running through my head so many years later. Again, her only X-Files credit. Tim Bagley plays Gordy. He's also had a very prolific career. 143 credits to his name, best known for playing Irv in The Mask, as well as work in Knocked Up, Will and Grace, and Monk as Harold Crenshaw. Tom Virtue appears very briefly in the beginning as one of the two people in the couple that are killed in the pre-credit sequence that get Mulder and Scully involved. He's also known for Even Stevens, Iron Man 3, Transformers Dark of the Moon, and The Secret Life of the American Teenager. Once again, the only X-Files credit. And Juliana Donald, who played his wife, was best known for Muppets Take Manhattan, Purple Rose of Cairo, The Dragnet Film, and Murder One. Again, her only X-Files credit. With the shift to LA, it does seem like they are not reusing guest stars as frequently as they have in the past. There's probably just a greater pool to draw from, so they don't feel quite so compelled to just reuse people that they've used in the past. But ultimately, this is an episode that's a spoof on the planned communities. Mulder and Scully go undercover. Mulder picks their cover names, which he rips directly from the Dick Van Dyke show for the characters played by Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore. We get, you know, a a little bit of domestic humor with that, some of which playing into the stereotypes, like when he tells Scully to make him a sandwich and she quite naturally throws things at him instead. But ultimately what we have here is a community where the homeowners said, no, we want to keep this planned community rigidly adhered to. So the founder uses his knowledge to create a tulpa that will enforce the rules and it does so by killing anyone who deviates even a little bit, things like a broken light bulb. Now, it's not clear why the thing goes out and kills so indiscriminately, even after the light bulb's fixed, which is when he was coming after Big Mike. Although it might be why Big Mike survived. It may have sort of lost the drive at that point. But the question is, how much conscious control does Gene have? I mean... If he wanted it to take care of Mike, he could have just said, okay, kill Mike. So therefore, there has to be some level of autonomy. It's just, you know, imbued with basic programming, come out on the property, take care of anyone who's deviating from the rules, but it's not doing so in a way that requires specific attention with the now go here, go there. So it's not remote control. It's just running off a a preset list of parameters. But in that case, then, it should be autonomous. So the question is, why is it stopped with the death of Gene? It just, it feels like it's an easy out to me. Like, you have to have one or the other. Either Gene is in control, in which case they didn't need to break Big Mike's light to get him to come after it, or Gene is not in control, in which case Gene's death would not necessarily have stopped the Tulpa, and they would have had to do a little more on that end. So that part feels a little inconsistent and likely exists in that sense just for the sake of time. They just had that deus ex machina because they chose to spend time on other things instead of establishing an out. But it is an entertaining episode and one of the higher rated episodes of both the season and the series coming up in the high eights like that. 
it's just not necessarily one of my go-tos to go back and rewatch. I'll appreciate it if I'm doing a complete rewatch, but won't pull it out to watch just this. Now, as far as the science is concerned, really there's no science in a tulpa. There's no way to have just a pile of garbage have autonomy with science. This is one of the episodes that's just straight up magical fantasy. That's what it's all about. Okay, so now that we have deviated from the usual release order on DVD or on Netflix, to cover Arcadia, we're going to double back and go back to doing the rest of the season in release order. So join us again in two weeks' time for Aguamala. Thank you for listening.